This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Basic Med is finally here. And we're going to talk about a very successful AOPA fly-in at Camarillo, California. A glider tries to reach the edge of space. And speaking of space, flying cars might soon take up the airspace around us. <laughs> All right, David, you ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk again. Man, David, flying cars—that's uh, whew, that's scary. We'll get to, <laughs> we'll get. <laughs> it could be cool, but it could be it could uh, it could also be a catastrophe. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get to that. Um, I'm Ian Twombly. Uh, I'm David Tulis. And uh, thanks for joining us for Hangar Talk. And uh, David, a big day to celebrate today. Today, as we record this, it's May first. Yeah. Basic that, Med. That's a huge day in the aviation industry. Yeah. Congratulations, Ian. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, uh, APA worked long and hard to get Basic Med on the books, and and we're rolling it out today. Yep. So hopefully people are are taking note of that and going to our resource pages. Yep. Everything came out. I guess the video and the checklist came out. Uh, what about a week ago? Uh-huh. Uh huh. In advance, which was a bit of a surprise. We didn't know up until maybe a week prior to that, whether it was really going to happen, but it yeah, did. Yeah. Um, and we had everything ready to go, ramped up. And, you know, I saw the numbers on this, and within the first 24 hours, hundreds of people had already gone to their doctor, taken the course, and the info had been sent to That's the That's exciting so, news, and yeah. including several folks here in our own office yeah, at Frederick. Yeah. Getting back in the air. Yeah, super cool. So they, um, yeah, they were ramped up, ready to go. And uh, had that checklist to the doctor. The course, you know, it's like, that's no problem. You can do that anytime you want. But uh, to get it done that fast, I yeah. just thought was amazing. Well, people were excited. And it was a long, it was a long road. AOPA fought a pretty, pretty good battle, long and hard. A lot of twists and turns in that road. But uh, lightness at the end of it. Yeah. So have you thought about, are you going to, are you going to go basic man? Do you think you're going to stay third class? You and I were chatting about that a couple of weeks ago before one of the podcasts. I don't know. I'm, I'm good to go until July of next year. Okay. So, um, I'll think about that. Now I'm not a, a I'm not a commercial pilot. I'm a, you know, IFR student, commercial student, but if I was going to go further, you know, maybe ATP or something, uh, I would have to get, you know, I'd have to go to the, another route. Yeah. What are you going to do? 
Well, you know, it's funny because I've been thinking about it a lot because actually I just switched doctors. Yeah. And um, so in the first appointment, uh, we knew this was going to come out. I just had it a couple months ago and I said, hey, I got this form, you know, FAA. Would you sign this thing saying basically, okay, yeah, he can fly an airplane. Yeah. And he goes, well, I'd have to see it. But uh, he said, I sign forms all the time. Uh So it's like, yeah, I'd I'd probably sign the form. No problem. Um, And I'm going to go back to him for a physical in about a month. Smart move. And and it occurred to me, it's like, if you have this thing ready to go at your physical, I was just looking over the checklist today. Just bring it. Yeah. And because the checklist literally is a checklist. It's It's the doctor. It's like vision. Check. It's easy, too. I started to do, to do it online. Yeah. It was very simple, easy to walk through. It's good to have a couple of documents at hand. Or, like, I like to log my doctor's appointments into uh, into my phone, yeah. into the calendar thing, yeah. Or, yeah. or some other way to, so I could review them. And, uh, you know, no, no secrets there. But as you get older, I mean, you might have something that you might want to remind your doctor of. You want to look at something. And so uh, it's good to at least have that information nearby. Yeah. So, but your I, doctor said, yeah, yeah, he said he would sign it. And uh, so I thought, man, if I got to go to this guy anyway, maybe I'll just take the checklist next time I go. Yeah. And uh, I think I don't expire until like the end of next January on my third class. Uh-huh. But uh, why not? It's like I could do the course and continue to fly under basic med, you know, and not have to worry about it. The other side of the coin is that, you know, AOPA is all about trying to save money mm-hmm. and it's a little bit less costly. Yeah. If you don't have to go to an airman's a medical examination doctor. Yeah. You know what it is for me? Uh, I'm lazy. And so <laughs> for me, it's the hassle. Uh, it's like, God, oh, man. And I, you know, the doctor, it's like, I, I don't want to be, you know, a real wuss about it or something. But it's like, oh, another appointment. Yeah. Go out the, ugh. Well, well, here at AOPA, we were actually pretty, pretty, you know, physically minded folks up here. Yeah. And we were encouraged to, you know, eat right, do good, you know, with our exercise routines and things like that. And pilots in general should be doing that yeah. anyway. And most do it that I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'm fortunate I haven't had to go to the doctor that often lately. But I think I, men- I mentioned a couple podcasts ago, and remind me if I did, uh, that uh, my dad actually gave a ride to a young man who at the time was five years old. My dad took him up in his air coop, and this gentleman ended up pursuing flying, got his pilot's license uh, certificate, pursued it to IFR commercial ATP, and is an Airman's Medical Examiner oh. in Atlanta, and he gave me an Airman's no Medical way. Exam a couple of years ago. Yeah, And your dad was the first, he, that was the first airplane ride when he was five. Yeah, and this, this, this awesome. and it was like, he was five years old, had a, had a so trip, cool. and it really impressed him. Yeah. So, I mean, we can go different ways with that, but the point was also, it was really, it was, you know, there are a lot of folks who are, who, who did the airman uh, physicals that were other kinds of doctors. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, they sure. just did it to be nice. Yeah, yeah. They were pilots yeah, themselves. Yeah, pilots and they like to do it. Yeah, hang out with other pilots and, yeah. yeah. Huh. So, yeah, uh, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, have... I mean, the nice thing is you don't have to decide, you know, it's right. like, and, uh, and the cool thing is if you do it in advance of your, uh, uh, of when you expire, of when your medical expires, it's like, eh, you know, okay, I got it done. The medical expires. You can just keep going. Maybe you can go back and get another medical later. It's exactly. like, it doesn't really matter. You can go do it either way. I think folks are real excited about it. Going back to the numbers that you mentioned, yeah. so many folks signed up ahead of time. Right away. Yeah, we you know, we recently talked to a few people at this uh, fly-in, and, and uh, they were very excited about it. Yeah, so um, Mark Baker, AOPA President Mark Baker, he said, there are something like, I don't know what it is, 300, I'm trying to remember the number off the top of my head. I think it's 300,000 certificated pilots who are basically out of the game. Because so they, medical. they were worried about their medical. Yeah, so for whatever reason, they stopped flying. And so he says, well, if we get 10% of those, that's 30,000 pilots. That'll that could grow come the back. pilot population pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that would, it. That would be amazing. 
Well, um, yeah, a good friend of mine uh, in Atlanta, John Baysmore, was waiting for this to, to come to fruition. I think that'll get him back in the air. He works for AP, he's a photographer. That's and cool. a number of people that I interface with were, were pilots and a little bit worried about it, and they're, they're ready to get back in the game. That's awesome. Now, how can they get back in the game flying-wise? Got, we got our Rusty Pilots yeah, program. Yeah, we should tell them about some of that. Yep, Rusty Pilots is a great one. So that's um, go to the seminar. It's about three hours. Uh, really, really great seminar. and covers essentially everything you need for the ground portion of the flight review. I did it myself. Yeah. And you let yeah you loved it. You said it was a good I time. I did. I yeah. did it at the St. Simon's fly-in. Yeah. And uh, it really spurred me to get back in the air. And it was a it was a lot of fun then, but it is way better now. It's yeah. really interactive. Yeah, scenario based is fun. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool thing to do. It is not boring at all. Yeah. So there's that. And then, you know, in terms of the basic med stuff, we've got all kinds of resources. Uh, we call them fit to fly. Yeah. So you just go to AOPA.org and on the top there's a tab, basic med, and just click on that and it's like everything from the checklist, the course. Uh, FAQs, um, you know, it's like when you talk about some of the conditions, people are worried. It's like, do you have to get the special issuance or can you go basic med? It goes through all that. And then how to get in touch with us, right? which I know is a big one. So people have questions. It's like, pick up the phone, send an email. We'll help you out. The folks in the Pilot Information Center are specialists. We have medical specialists down there that are very attuned to what our members uh, need to know. Yeah. And they're they're on it. It's all I can. And as a member, before I, I came to work here, I called up several times, and the folks were great. Huh. You might answer the phone once. Yeah, hopefully I gave you the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I might have given some wrong ones over the years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, hey. So if they get back into it, um, one thing they could do. Maybe buy an airplane. Uh, maybe they're looking at a Mooney, let's say. Oh, yeah. I used to own a Mooney. You did? Their Moonies are good flyers. They are. And, you know, Mooney, it's funny. We talked, I guess it was last time or maybe two times ago about Diamond you and did. how they're kind of an engineering company. Yeah. And it's like, man, if they just put a little into sales and marketing. Mooney is, is in a way, the opposite. It's not like they're all sales, but they've got this great product, and it's like they just... From a management standpoint, it's over the stop years, stop and start, stop and start. Oh man, it's like that. When I was a Mooney, it's killer. And when I was a Mooney owner, same deal. And I had to get parts, and I always wondered, well, if I call the number at Kerrville, who will I get? They always had someone to an- answer the yeah, phone, even in the bad times, right? Definitely, yeah. Ne- it's like never, one or two they people. never stop. Yeah, but uh, they've stubbed their toes in management a few times. Yes. And, w- and you were starting to tell me a little bit before the podcast about the latest toe stub. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if most people don't even know, but the the somewhat recent, the, the most recent former uh, CEO of Mooney's name um, was Vivek Saxena. Uh-huh. And I was trying to think like, okay, well, how long? It's like, man, Jerry Chen brought the company back. He was the CEO who brought it back, yeah. um, got the Chinese investment. Yeah, um, got the factory back up running, and they came out with a new model. Yep, yep, yeah. Well, upgrades to upgrades, upgrades to the to standards, the and then the M10. Right. Yep. So Jerry just sort of went away, and then Vivek came in, and you know what? That was over the summer. Yeah, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't even a year ago, right? Yeah, no, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. Yeah. And then uh, find out we, last we, week, and we we heard a lot of good stuff about what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, find out last week. Uh, what's the official line? <laughs> on a what do they say it's like uh long-term hiatus or... oh oh yeah uh he was uh lance phillips mooney's marketing director said that sexina was on a leave of absence a leave of absence with no start or end date yes that's like yeah <laughs> that's like bill o'reilly who went on vacation oh, goodness and he came back to yeah mm, yeah not sure what yeah so um anyway i there's a lot of uh 
I guess the best way to put it is speculation um, about what happened. It may have had something to do with the press conference at Sun and Fun and a little slip up there in terms of where their product development's going. And they were headed towards developing a training product, basically an M10. Yeah. And which would get people's feet in the door of a Mooney. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and apparently um, diesel powered, you know, uh, power a bunch of training in China. And there was uh, some kind of back and forth on where that program stood and um, Vivek said one thing that may have gotten kind of lost in translation there at the press conference. Uh, we don't know. And then now in the latest statement, it's like, nope, they say M10 on track happening. So, so contradicted what he said. So do you think they will come out with an M10? Um, it'd be nice if they did. Yeah. Uh, one would assume it would not be as expensive as yeah, other as the equivalents. 20. Yeah. Well, I would hope it'd be way less than the 20. Yeah. It's really cool looking. I like the idea of diesel. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess, boy, I, maybe I'm jaded, but when you just look at new product development and, the, and the batting average, almost impossible. It's like folks like Cirrus, more power to them for doing it. Yeah. And, and we, we've, uh, we've given icon a couple of knocks in the past, but they got they made it they got the plane out there and, and yep. it's flying and they're selling them yep. and now the m20 line is like basically an all, all metal line of aircraft and more or less yeah and then you got the roll to roll cage construction mm-hmm. very very safe mm-hmm. now the the m10 that was was that i can't remember was that gonna be a departure i'm not trying to put you on the spot i yeah. thought there was some, some composite technology involved with that and that is not mooney's specialty in right in careville right is this a hand-tooled factory yes a lot of hammering a lot of rivets and these folks have been doing it like that for for decades yeah and uh, you know, basically since the, the late 50s uh, when they had they actually had some wooden tail em- yeah. empanages back yep. then, a wood wing moonies, first M20. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right. Um, the, the 10, as I recall, had some composite in it. And then, you know, they said maybe an airframe parachute or something like that. I think it was still pretty early. Yeah. I mean, they flew it. But one thing that I think shows kind of the departure from where they are now. You mentioned Kerrville. Of course, that's where they're making, that's where they build Moonies. Yeah, in Texas. Yeah, and, uh, you know, all the development for the 10 was going on in Chino. Oh, yeah, it's so, uh, quite a distance away. Yeah. So I wonder, wonder about the symmetry else. of something like that. Then, and then you're talking about transport costs and everything else. Yeah, so almost two completely different divisions. Yeah, so. and communication. Yeah. Yep. So that, that could have been a stumbling block to begin with. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully they patch that up. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, we will over the next couple of months. Right so. Yeah, in fact, in talking about, you know, it's like we mentioned that he's gone. I don't even think they've hired kind of an interim because, I, you know, I'm not sure that they acknowledge that he's definitely out. But um, we have a story online and it talks about a letter to employees. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of where they go from there. Well, it, the Mooney's been around for a long time. I expect them to be a, around for a long time in the future. And they do make an interesting product. Yeah. And a lot of people are very loyal. Yeah. So Love that'll them. be, that, we'll see what happens with them. Yeah. Now, you were close to Chino uh, last weekend. I wasn't that far away. Yeah. I was in Camarillo for the AOPA fly-in. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shout that at our podcast <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you were that excited about I it. I was. I have not been uh, in California that often myself. And uh, and once uh, I got out there, I must say that what a keen flying community uh, Californians have. No wonder is so active. Yeah. The scenery is just gorgeous in the L.A. Basin area and the high mountains and the, and the cliffs on the ocean. Even just driving from L.A. north up through Malibu and Ventura towards Camarillo was just spectacular. Yeah, it's, and, uh, that's pretty cool. It was really neat. The vibe at the Camarillo Fly-In was very positive. People are very happy. I guess it's got a little bit of that California laid-back attitude yeah. happening there. Yeah, yeah. 
but the weather was good. It's a little windy. Yeah, I heard that. So what is a little windy? I think a little windy to them is about 40 miles an hour. No way. <laughs> well, they had these Santa Ana uh, winds that came up out of the opposite direction, at, you know, out of the east instead of out of the west. And it, it did get a little dusty and a little breezy. And then I was talking to Dave Hirschman a little bit about this. The wind rolls over the mountains over there, and it could really cause some uh, some issues with downdrafts and turbulence. Hmm. And a lot of pilots flew near to Camarillo and then got in a car and came to the show. Oh, okay. But but there was, nonetheless, there were still... A couple hundred airplanes at least, Several right? hundred airplanes. Yeah, wow. I, took, I, I jumped in a helicopter and, and took a quick jaunt around the facility. Yeah. And uh, and it was it was crowded. So <laughs> that's all I can say. There are plenty of people there. Yeah, and so we I think we uh, talked about, ended up with about 5,000 people. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. And uh, I want to say that we had uh, we had maybe sixty or seventy people trying to camp out there. Wow! Even in the in the in, in the, the wind in the winds and the dust That's and great. everything. And um, Tom uh, Horn's story says uh, three hundred ninety airplanes converged nice. over there. Like you said, about five thousand people. Now, new this year, a couple of things that our listeners uh, might not know about. So we had one one cool thing was the buyer sellers corral. Oh yeah, there were about maybe a dozen airplanes there. Do you remember the first Cirrus that was made, the Pusher? Yeah, yeah. That There was one of those that yeah, was there the for 30. sale. Yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. Really? Yeah. yeah. Gosh, yeah. there can't be that many of those out there. No. I didn't check on the price. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't in the market for them. Yeah, one. yeah. But there was an RV-12 there and a Comanche and some other models. So the nice. seller, buyer-seller's crowd was new. Cool. Also, what was cool on Friday were the workshops. Yeah. Four workshops. And uh, I would say that... Um, that there was um, a good deal of, of interested folks that were highly motivated. So in, in our You Can Fly tent, the Rusty Pilots uh, happened there, mm-hmm. but also there was a really neat IFR refresher. That was the first time I'd seen that offered. Yeah. And it was really interesting. That was There, were a, lot, there was a lot of camaraderie in there. Oh. Folks were asking questions. They gathered in groups, small groups, to discuss what-ifs and things like that. Nice. Uh, I thought it was a lot of energy there. Now, that one, I, I think there's a flight school out of Seattle area that put that on, right? It was, yes. Yeah. They were good. Yeah. They were real good. That's and awesome. The, and, the, you know, I, have, I was out there doing a lot of photography and mm-hmm. just talking to people. And then uh, folks were, were highly appreciative of that particular piece. The That's workshop. interesting. Okay. Uh, a couple other workshops that I thought were neat were uh, one that was called Pilot Plus One, mm-hmm. which is a going places kind of a thing. And we had several different presenters there. Jolie Lucas, uh, speaking of Mooney, Mooney owners. Mooney, yeah. She's a Californian and a, and a Mooney owner and just yeah. sweet person you ever want to meet and she had a great seminar that um that in fact a cessna pilot society uh guru mike jesh acted as atc controller Hmm. as people um got up front at a simulator and tried to perform a landing in an aircraft assuming their significant other had some sort of issue okay so it's like a spouse program it was yeah and it was really cool and then people were laughing and just you know getting into it and and the whole point was it was a you can do it thing okay you can do this yeah and then after after that, I talked to a couple of people that participated in, and they said they wanted to pursue trying to get uh, some flight training and perhaps their wow. own certificate. That's awesome. That's very effective. Yeah. Loved it. And I think it was all about the presenters, all about the way the excitement was and, and you know, a lot, lot of positive vibes. And so then we had another really popular workshop on your own, uh, doing your own aircraft maintenance. Okay. Yep. And so now you With had Adrian and you a few had Adrian others. Eichhorn here as a, as a podcaster. Yep. And, um, and so folks don't remember, he uh, flew around the world. He's also an ace mechanic. Yep. And he was fantastic, Ian. Yeah. He was, um, Adrian is, is great. He's like a, a born teacher. He was, um, aviation maintenance tech of the year. 
And no FAA, doubt, so, no no, yeah. no doubt, because he not only is he skilled, but he can teach it. Yeah. And uh, so he ended up showing people, you know, how to clean the spark plug, and he had a spark awesome. plug testing device, and people all crowded around it. And then uh, Mike Bush, yeah. uh, people know Mike from his Savvy Aviator work. And so he was talking a little bit about die penetrant and showing how this worked and things like that. Awesome. They even had an engine there that people could kind of tweak on and huh. learn how to do some safety safety tying. You know how to do that yourself? No, I'm not a good safety wire. I, no. didn't, mean, I didn't mean to no, put you on the no, spot. No, no, I'm not. This, I, um, the safety wire is a, it's a lost art, huh? You know, I'm, a, I'm somebody who's smart enough to pay somebody else to do my Oh, I think you could do it. <laughs> well, they were teaching folks how to do the safety wire. Okay. And so that was neat. Cool. And yeah, I enjoyed that. And then uh, our own Tom Horn uh, partnered up with, uh, with uh, I think, Laurie McNichol. Mm-hmm. Was, and they did um, uh, an extreme uh, flying workshop, if you will. It's like mountain flying and, uh, and over water flying. Yeah. And at the end of that was a really cool demonstration of how to properly open a life raft. Hmm. Now, there's a right way and a, and a wrong way. Okay. Who would have thought there yeah. would be a right and a wrong way? Yeah. But folks who attended definitely... You know, definitely learn how to do it the right way. That's awesome. Yeah. So they got to inflate a raft. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, it was, it was really neat. That's, so, that's great. Good vibes on the workshops. Yeah. We had the Barnstormers dinner as usual. A lot of, a lot of excitement with that. And it was a beautiful backdrop. I yeah, mean, I saw the pictures. Gorgeous balloon, night. Balloons in the background doing a, a night glow. Oh, man. You know what night we yeah. talked to? Yeah, uh, yeah, where they stand it up and, yeah. All right, it was a little windy uh, to do the to the stand up of the balloons, <laughs> but they managed a couple out there, and the band was in, in playing in front of a warbird and a beautiful oh, awesome. blue sky and purple sunset. Um, cool. And I can go on and on forever. I won't, but I will. But I will uh, wrap my part of it of, of being excited up with the fact that I got to attend and participate in a fly out to Catalina Island off the coast of California. It's 20, 26 miles away. Yeah. So now these are so we've got the works so. Now, in the past, fly-ins, people probably know, Saturday only, right? Right, um, right. and we should add that there's a, a fee for the workshops. Yeah, so workshops are Friday, right? and then the fly-out is like kind of other groups who they say, hey, the fly-in's over, come on, we'll go try some of this stuff, we'll go have some fun, and those are Sundays, right? Then, well, it was Saturday night, it was okay. Saturday afternoon Yeah. Uh, after the official um, fly-in was yeah. over, Okay. and then uh, and ours was an overnight trip Saturday to Sunday, nice. and basically the idea, Ian, is take some of the concepts you just learned, Yeah. over water flying, a mountain flying, and then let's do them together. Go have some fun. As a group. Yeah. Fly out and have fun. Awesome. So we I flew out with the Cessna Pilot Society, Mike Jesh and his 182. What a charming host. Great guy. Airline pilot. And we had a wonderful time in that that Catalina Island for folks who hadn't been there. That thing looks like it's a, it's an aircraft carrier runway. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you fly out over the ocean and there's like the ocean is flat, you know, it's like yeah. at sea level. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, like Catalina Island rises to like 1,600 feet cool. from zero to 1,600 in sheer cliffs. Awesome. And so you land on this uh, 3,000 foot strip. And at the top of the strip, there, there are pads where you can park your plane and you can camp out right next to your aircraft. Oh, right at the airport. It was awesome. That's And cool. the coolest part of it is that, and see, I was a dunce. I didn't know this. <laughs> I brought food. I brought camping food and a camping oh, stove. Oh, wow. you were prepared. Look yeah, at you. Yeah, but. You brought my, a camp stove? Yeah. Did you haul that all the way from home on the. I did. Air- <laughs> I did, but not the fuel. I bought the fuel at yeah, REI yeah, out there. Yeah, But that's awesome. Yeah. And so, but uh, so when I got there, I said to Mike, I said, hey, you know, I got my sleeping bag. I got my tent. I said, and I got my stove. He goes, stove? Why'd you bring a stove? There's a restaurant on the island. <laughs> and, he, and he organized them to stay open a little bit later. Okay. To take care of us coming in from the flight, you know, from 
the fly in at Camarillo, which yeah. is like 26 miles away. And so he uh, organized that, and the restaurant stayed open a little bit later. They opened the next morning at 8 for breakfast, although I did use my stove. Did I you? made, I made co- coffee. Coffee. Of course. Yeah, you got to have it for coffee. And, I, and yeah. the, it was awesome. Yeah. It was perfect. I bet you were a hit with the coffee. It's I like, was. I was the most popular guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the night before involved a lot of a lot of storytelling, <laughs> and I won't go into the rest of <laughs> you it. You needed the coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, let's just say it was a lot of camaraderie, yeah. and the folks were just having a, a great time. They were so, pr- and they were appreciative of the fly of the flying opportunity. Okay, cool. And it, it got people out. In the, oh, that's you know, awesome. It, it was neat. That's awesome. Great event. Yeah. So now, um, you must have airlined out there, I guess. I did on Southwest. Okay. You didn't get dragged off the airplane on your way out? Not this time. Okay, good. Because I, I, I didn't get dragged off and I wasn't wearing leggings. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Too much information, <laughs> yeah. right? I think I look pretty sharp in my bicycle tights uh. myself, but other people might not think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't actually talked about our guest this week, um, Pete Bedell. Who, uh, who's an airline pilot for a major. Right. And uh, so we do get into that a little later. We'll talk a lot about dragging passengers and uh, leggings and um, all the other bad passenger behavior. So you're, you're a good boy. You're on your best behavior. I was. I good. was. But, but you're right. And I, I'm looking forward to listening to what, what Pete has to say because, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we heard about the, the, the girls that were wearing, uh, I guess they were wearing some just tight-fitting oh, leggings. Yeah. And uh, they got into some trouble with that. And, and uh, then also, I think everyone was uh, was pretty uh, interested in the outcome of this one passenger who happened to be a doctor. Yeah. And he was you know forcefully removed from the plane because it was uh, overbooked. Yeah. You know, they settled already. I saw that. I mean, oh, they it's were like... Smart move. Yeah. Yeah, I think they knew that they kind of blew the PR thing in the beginning. Yeah. And so it's like, nope, shut it down, make it go away as fast as possible. Yet another reason to be a general aviation pilot. Uh, avoid Amen. all that. Amen. And you and I were talking about this yeah. before the show is you know, there's like no room in the in the in the cabin. I mean, my knees are like right up against the uh, the chair in front of me for four and a half hours coming back. It was it was not pleasant. I don't knock it. I'm glad we've come to this area of technology where we can go across the country in mere hours Mm -hmm. you know but nonetheless it's gone off off the deep end a little bit i think since the the original intent well it's such a huge difference between the experience you just had which is like flying is all about fun and togetherness and you know you want camping and and you know and then you got to get on a tube and it's like you're you're technically doing the same thing but it's a completely different completely different experience and and probably like you and like a lot of other people i feel more comfortable when i'm at the control yeah (laughs) if i'm driving a car in a high mountain environment which i've done a few times i'm very much more comfortable behind the wheel than as a passenger yeah i hear you but uh yeah let's hear what pete has to say on those topics which are still in the news you know yeah yeah they are yeah so um before we get there we'll we'll get there in a couple minutes um Speaking of high mountains, high altitude, uh, one thing that happened over the week that oh, we right. want to talk about this Perlin, um, which we haven't talked about yet. This this thing is really t- this is another sort of technology demonstrator, but this one I'm actually excited about. This one's cool. So this is going to be a 17 mile vertical climb. Yeah, they're talking about maybe hitting 100,000 feet. Oh my lord! With this glider, completely, you know, not a motor glider. Like they're not flying up. You know, they're not powered up there. 
They're going to soar up there. And the, and the, the Airbus folks who are also involved in uh, in the America's Cup sailing yeah. yep. races you know that are happening yeah. in June, yep. they're also a little bit behind this as well. Yeah, so the, the they call this Perlin 2 because Perlin 1, I guess, or just Perlin, the original Perlin. Right. Um, kind of self-funded, I think, and, you know, um, sort of personal project that in 2006 uh, they flew down in Argentina. This is the current record, the altitude record, which is an incredible 50,000 feet in this glider. That's pretty high. 50,000 feet. So I think it's pretty astounding to be in a GA airplane at like 18,000 feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been at I've been in a TBM at like 27,000 feet. Yeah, double it. Wow, in a glider. man. In a, in glider. a glider. In a glider. So they're... Um, they made a new uh, aircraft, the two. It's a two-seater, uh, I guess, yeah. and they want to make it to a hundred grand. That would be the edge of the stratosphere, I'm guessing. Yeah. Wow. Well, now, do you think they can make it go all the way to to Saturn, <laughs> the moon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just go out into orbit, and yeah, it blows my mind though. I mean, they're they're catching mountain waves that high. That's how high. That's amazing that go. you can catch thermals going that high. Yeah, of one way or another. Yeah, that's incredible. Shows you a lot about the atmosphere too, which is um, absolutely you know, stuff that we know a little about, but yeah. we can you know stand to learn a lot more. And NASA inspired a lot of that, a lot of that too. I think you know mm-hmm. through the years. So, um, or it looks like there's some maybe even some experiments that could happen as a result of this. Yeah, I think they're getting kids involved, and um, obviously now that they have the backing of Airbus with the, that the technology and, and maybe a little bit of the money. Um, seems like they might be able to make it. It's just about finding the conditions. I was I was really interested though that their biggest challenge, you would think it's it's atmosphere, it's it's you know air basically for yeah. the wings to grab onto. Right. I would. Yeah. Um, doesn't appear to be. They're talking about heat. Heat. The heat. The buildup of heat. Yeah. It's yeah. One of their biggest challenges. That's a detriment. Now that also that also affects the and had did affect. The uh, you know the shuttles as they were reentering the Earth's atmosphere. And yeah, I guess it would also affect stuff like the Blackbird when it was flying real high. Yeah, of course they got U-2s. friction right from right. speed. For them, it's like I you know you think man it's you're up, you're way up there it's really cold. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's like because you're in this cockpit and there's not the atmosphere. It's like the sun coming into the cockpit plus the body heat and everything else. They're worried about it getting too hot. Oh, it's like from ultraviolet. Yeah. Wow, man. Uh, which I just found fascinating. That's that I didn't know that. Actually, you're right. A little bit further down in Jim's story, it does talk a little bit about that. That's incredible. Yeah. So heat's an issue. Now it's a carbon composite type aircraft. Yeah, to keep it that, light. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I was just reading a little bit more about that. The uh, it's expected to eventually race through the atmosphere at 400 knots. True. Yeah, because you're up that high. So, you know the whole true airspeed Man. calculations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty incredible That's stuff. That's a pretty fast glider. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, a lot of inspiration there, and that goes to show you that that aeronautical engineering is alive and well and strong, mm-hmm. and uh, folks that are in even in high school get could get started down that road with some of the science, technology, engineering, and math programs. Yeah, which AOPA is a part of as well. Yeah. So you know, one thing leads to another. It's a building block, and then next thing you know, it. Going for a hundred thousand feet in a glider. Yeah, it's like your AME at five uh, years old. You know what? Uh, what comes out of just these little little sparks that people have. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, it's cool. And the fact, I think it's neat that people are still. I don't know. Sometimes I you, you look at some of the records that 
aviation has has achieved and you think ah is there anything left you know and so well, glider at a hundred thousand feet that's pretty cool i think so too yeah pretty neat stuff so now talking about records and kind of the future and what's out there um the last thing that we have to talk about is this this whole uber summit right now this is all over the regular news i mean this is this has been you know cnn and everybody else so yeah and so they um i guess it's all part of the flying car initiative that a lot of folks are participating in and so i was uh very interested to see that um that embraer mm-hmm. also um entered the fray mm-hmm. and they they bring some street cred yeah. to this deal yeah and so we were talking to them. I guess uh, Tom Horn was talking to them about the, the Uber initiative and Embraer. Now, he, I think he told me when I chatted with him over at the um, fly-in that it, you know, it's very much a vision of theirs. Yeah. But I guess we need to wait and see if it really happens. Yeah. So, you know, Uber, have you taken an Uber? Had to, I actually had to take an Uber from Hawthorne Airport to LAX yesterday. Oh, okay. And, First time? Uh, no, but I haven't done it that often. Okay. But uh, but it was it's a great concept. Yeah. I do like that. I've only done a few, and yeah. and but you know I think if you live in a city, it's like you're doing it every day probably. Well, some cities don't have it. Yeah, right, because of the whole because of regulatory issues. Exactly, yeah. which will also be something we can talk about when we're talking about flying cars. Yeah. So I think it's funny because you know you look at this and you say, okay, well Uber, it makes sense, I guess, that they'd be into flying cars. Yeah. But Embraer, they're into flying jets. Yeah. So it's like they have the expertise. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I look at it, something like Uber. And I think, well, they they underestimate the basically the regulatory hurdles and sort of the the cultural hurdles that would go into something like that. And yeah. then you realize that that they've beaten cab companies and you think, oh, forget it. They can do anything. They, they have. You know, they can, the cab folks are not real happy about. No, that, say. it's like you talk about an entrenched, you know, industry. It's like, yeah. the cabs. They are. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, I guess you, you know, in the cab world. It's a little bit more like the FAA regulatory world where they have their own regulations. Highly and there's structured. a little bit of, uh, it is, yeah. it's a little bit of give and take, and we're not sure how to get there. We want to do this, and then, uh, you know, we got to climb over an obstacle yeah. to get there. But uh, Uber has climbed over several of those obstacles so far. Yeah. And so they're saying they're going to build, what is it, four vertiports in Dallas. Nice, nice um, place for them, too. Yeah. And they want to do this by 2020. That's so, pretty soon. It really is. That's when we're supposed to have ADSB. I know. There yeah. January yeah. 1st. Well, so they'll have to have ADSB and all their flying cars. Right. Um, but one thing that did come out of this is this this Elevate Summit that they held um, in Dallas is that really, I mean, there you mentioned Embraer, uh, Mooney's involved. Um, there's all kinds of different Carter. Um, Carter Copter. Yeah. Yep. They've had that thing out there for a number of years. So yeah. they're involved now. Um, and then there's others. I mean, we saw the one, the, the one in Germany, you yeah. know, with the ducted fans. So, yeah. So we got there. I, I was just, uh, I don't, I cruised through the, through the, uh, online internet world here and I, there's, uh, Aeromobile's flying car, which is like the most expensive car. Oh. It's available for only $1.3 million. If oh. you have a spare 1.3. It looks cool though. But they unveiled it at this flying car expo. Yeah. Basically. There's a Silicon Valley, uh, it's called Kitty Hawk, and it looks more like, I think, a motorcycle. And a, oh, and a, that's and that cool plane. one that they show on the lake with the guy. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, yeah. toy, recreational. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that's another one, too. I think that might be a little bit different. It's all part, all going to the same place. Though. Yeah. And then we also have the, I'll mispronounce it, you know, but Terra Fugia. Terra Fugia, yeah. Okay. Which we haven't heard from in a little while, but yep, they're out there. I wonder what is the latest with those guys. Yeah. 
and they've been they've been pounding the pavement there for a pretty good while. Yep. And uh, now uh, you and I were talking before the podcast that I I had the book by it's Mort Taylor, right? Yeah. The first flying car, the original flying car, and yeah. that car actually did fly. Yeah. It had a like a, a foldable, rotable tail section. Yeah. On it, um, but they didn't make that many of them. Just no, like a half just a dozen couple, or yeah. so. Yeah. So, I've seen. Have you seen? It's been at Oshkosh a few times. You know what? I'm thinking now that I think I remember seeing one either there or at another one of our fly-ins. Oh, was it at Greg Herrick's place? Maybe up in um, up in uh, uh, okay. Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't go to that one, so okay. I'm not sure. But yeah, um, it, it's. It's kind of a funny thing, but yeah, that one worked. Um, the one I was talking about, the the ducted fan one in Germany, that one is cool. That's the Lilium. The Lilium. Yeah, yeah, that one is. That cool. is neat. Yeah, so that one is that unmanned. Com- that, but and that kind of combines a lot of the other like drone technology yes. and uh, unmanned air. You know, unmanned, like you said. Um, now here's the thing: thinking about the future and George Jetson and those guys yeah. and all. Okay, now we also have uh, quadcopter drones and other drones that could fly below 400 feet now. Yeah. And then what if we have cars that could lift up off the uh, jam-packed interstates, like like in Georgia, in Atlanta, yeah. close to my heart. Uh, yeah. Interstate 85 fell apart yeah. So uh, recently. So if you could just levitate from the interstate and just go. It makes me nervous. Me too. Yeah. Me too, because yeah. it's like, first of all, you and I are, are, and our podcast listeners are, are they're pilots. They invested yeah. a lot into this. Yeah. And, you know, we know the regs and it, we abide by them. Yeah. But not everyone does. No. And it would make me think that, you know, there's a, there's a 17 year old somewhere <laughs> that's going to get in go one of these and go, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So, while texting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know. I, cause it's like, well, you know, I mean, you can't, you got a problem. You can't pull over. You run into something, you're going down, you know, straight down instead of off the side of the road. Yeah, it's like, yeah. and so in that sense, I, I, I'd almost rather they be autonomous. I'd almost rather they be, all be drones. I think that would be good too. And they're pre-programmed and the computer flies them all. And then that way they're on a, a, a specific route. Yes. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of like a train route, but in the sky. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, exactly I could, right. See, I could see that happening. Yeah. I would and it would actually be interesting. And again, science, technology, engineering, and math, the next generation of folks, if the you know, folks that are in high school now, that's we're talking 2020. Yeah. That's like three, four years away, three years away. Yeah. Think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'd be working on that. Yeah. You know, speaking of the Jetsons, as I recall, I was a Jetsons fan as, as you know, as a kid. It's like they they were in like lanes. I mean they, they had, were. Yeah. That was they were like, you know, highways in the sky and railroad tracks in the sky. So till they got right near their house. And yeah, they, and then they, they could buzz around orbit, in circles. Right, yeah. Orbit the house yeah. and buzz right in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're right, it was very organized. Yeah. So it's gotta be that way, right? I mean that'd be kinda cool. Yeah. With GPS technology you would think you could do that. I would think so. Huh. Yeah. The only the only knock on that would be if somehow the technology has a fault or there's a glitch. Yeah. You know, they talk about that as you know, not to like totally off on a tangent but uh you know like electrical pulses right you know for like terrorism and stuff like that that's a big like, topic now or the gps satellite goes out it's like mm-hmm. boy then you're then what you know then we even would have trouble with our with running you know stuff like four flight or yeah. you know garmin yeah. 430s yeah so yeah i mean at least you know you and i it's like we put our hands on the yoke and we keep going yeah um, it's a little different when the whole system is dial in the VOR like Mike Jess did the other day, and he was having trouble getting something on his on his five thirty Garmin, and it's like, well, hey, we got a VOR, let's go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, back a up. Different. Mm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, 
transitioning now. We want to talk about talk to Pete. Now he's not flying a car, is he? No, he's not flying a car, not yet. <laughs> and he still has a job. It's not flown autonomously yet. Right. And uh, we did, you know, we talked about uh, some of that stuff, but mostly it was about what's the lifestyle like. You know, the hiring right now is just it's out of control. Uh, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, it's I like you know, it. he flies for a major. Um, mostly it's the regionals. You know, yeah. the majors can still be a little picky choosy. Yeah. Uh, but regionals, it's like. Man, if you've got the time, you got a job. My buddy Jeremy King in uh, Atlanta was with the regionals for a long time. He just moved up to a, a major. Awesome. Yeah. Good for him. More power, more power to him. Yeah. Uh, good tail dragger pilot, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. So then, and there, there are, I guess, uh, folks who are ATP pilots that are working for majors, a lot of them are still into general aviation. Yeah. Uh, I know we're going to talk to Pete, but I must say, on my way out to California, I had the greatest experience uh, flying on another major airline. Uh, chit-chatted with the, the captain there hmm. as I was uh, waiting around in between flights and uh, found out that he was a general aviation pilot. Had a, awesome. His name is Rhett. Has a Super Cub. And, uh, Very cool. Yeah, he, he said, hey, David, man, get in the pilot seat. Check it out. All right, and right of on. Of course, it's on the ground, parked at the gate. Yeah, yeah. And I said, no, nah, Rhett, I can't do that. I, no, I haven't got he said, I insist. So, of, oh, course, wow. I, of course, I did. Yeah. And I handed him a camera. You know, he, he demanded my phone for a camera, and he shot a picture of me. You know, big, awesome. Big uh, smile on my face. But that's cool. Airline pilots, a lot of them came from the GA ranks. Yeah. And some of them came from the daily, just regular flight training ops and moved up the line. Yeah. And uh, I like to hear how, how Pete got started. Yeah. Yes. He's got a great story. We talk about that. We'll talk um, about what's it like to live and work for a major and uh, bad passengers and all of it. Okay. I look forward <laughs> to hearing more from Pete shortly. All right, Pete. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming up. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, want to talk mostly about flying careers, um, but but first about you a little bit. Uh, tell me a little bit about kind of where you got started, where you grew up, that sort of thing. I grew up in an aviation family. Both my grandfathers were pilots. My father was a pilot, and then uh, he taught me and my two brothers to fly. So it's uh, I'm a third generation pilot and. We, you know, my brother has two boys learning to fly, so we've got literally generation four coming up now. Cool. Uh, learning to fly. And the ironic thing is that three of these generations have been in the same airplanes that we've had in our family for uh, well over 30 years. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, I just uh, grew up uh, in the Maryland area here outside of D.C. and just learned to fly out of the local airport, which is the Montgomery County Air Park in uh, Gaithersburg, and then uh, also learned out of my, my family's got a farm airstrip on the eastern shore and i spent a lot of time flying out of there doing a lot of grassroots kind of stuff out of there as well awesome and so were they um anybody uh fly like were your grandfathers in the war anybody fly professionally or uh my father well he flew briefly for the airlines his uh after he completed uh his uh bachelor's degree 1956 airlines were very hard up and uh, he just decided to go out to LaGuardia Airport, pedaled his bike over there and said, hey, you guys looking for pilots? And they said, not unless you got an instrument rating and, a, and a multi-rating. And he's like, yeah, I got that. So, you know, he was, uh, what, 21 years old and just wow. showed up there. And they said, jump, put him in the right seat of a DC-3. And he flew all summer long doing that. Cool. And uh, I think he loved it. But um, he did that for an entire summer. And I think at the end of that summer, his parents were kind of like, 
Yeah, we didn't send you to Princeton to, to be an airline pilot. So. <laughs> Go get a real job. Yeah, yeah he yeah. ended up becoming an MD. <laughs> so his brief flirtation with an airline pilot, I'm sure he loved it, but it didn't uh, it didn't last. And then, you know, but he always had the, the love of aviation. So I, th- I guess it was, uh, I think he bought his first plane in 1964, uh, Cessna 180. And then, um, and that's how long we've kept airplanes at the the air park in uh, Gaithersburg is since 1964. Wow. Yeah. So, and, uh, so while he couldn't be an airline pilot, he was getting plenty of, uh, flight time, just flying family around uh, in a 180, later a 310. And then, uh, but the Baron that we still own in 1971. Now your brothers are professional pilots as well, right? Yeah. Both of them are corporate pilots. Okay. Yeah. So, um, do you guys, <laughs> do you look at each other jealously? I mean, it's like you, you look at them and you say, man, they have a good gig and they look at you and say, hey, man, you got a good gig. Yeah. Sometimes. I, yeah. So one of my, and then when it comes to corporate jobs, uh, my brothers are sort of polar opposites. One of them works for a big company. I won't mention any names, but he works for a big company that has a well-staffed flight department. Okay. Um, so, and, and they have a pretty set schedule, you know, usually a couple, you know, a month or two in advance. So he pretty much knows where he's going. Um, and being that it's a good size flight department, uh, they uh, have vacation coverage and things like that. Mm. So it's a pretty good gig. Uh, and being that it's a corporation, most of their flying is during the week. Yeah. My other brother flies a global 6,000 for an individual owner. And uh, that, of course, is the opposite. Yeah. You've got an individual owner. Um, there's only two pilots. Um, wow, no I, kidding. Yeah. So, no relief at all. Well, they, they will hire out you know, a, a rent-a-pilot for a yeah. day rate. If they need it, so if they're going to do a long range trip, they'll they'll rotate a, a third pilot in there to uh, get the the rest they need. And being that it's an individual, it can be you know a jump and run trip. He likes to joke and say, "Yeah, I know my schedule. It's every holiday and every weekend." Yeah, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to my right. other brother. Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, it's unfortunate, but it's great money. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also and has a great a, airplane. Yes, it's a great yeah. airplane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got to fly one of those once, and it was really really sweet. Um, but yeah, you've got a, a billionaire with a you know who basically goes out and buys a sixty-five million dollar jet. I mean, it's 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 crazy money, and yeah. he's he got these guys on retainer ready to go whenever. Wow. So, and the other thing is, is that the airplane's based in White Plains, and my brother lives in Maryland, so it's oh. it's, it's a little bit of a commute <laughs> to work too. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you um you flew a little bit of. Uh, charter and a little bit of corporate kind of before you yeah. go the airline route. Yeah. So I graduated college. Well, actually I was flying charters, uh, for a local charter company here in uh, Frederick that was uh, operating Barron's and Navajos. And so I had, um, an in with them, uh, being that my brothers worked for them. And so here I, here I came up with, you know, I guess I had a couple hundred hours of twin time cause I grew up in the family's Barron. And then, so I kind of stepped into that job. I couldn't be certified as a, uh, I was a VFR only captain because you had to because uh, it was 500 hours total time. Oh yeah, sure. You could only be VFR part 135. So yeah. yeah, I had to wait till I got 1,200 hours to be the the to to fly IFR. But uh, you know, a lot of our stuff was two pilot operation anyway. Yeah. So I did that for several. I guess it was a couple of years. So I was in college, and I had three jobs in college. I was flying charters, waiting tables, and working for a caterer. And guess which one paid the most? It was it was definitely the, not the flying yeah, job. Yeah, right, the caterer probably. Yeah, the yeah. catering job was the best. But, you know, so the catering job paid the bills, and the waiting tables paid the bills for the flying job, if you want to say. But, yeah. So I did that for, uh, I guess it was probably a couple of years, flying the charters. And then when I graduated college, there was no airlines hiring. It was 1994. Yeah. So uh, that's why I ended up here at AOPA. Hmm. Uh, a good friend of the family, Richard Collins, who was a longtime uh, flying magazine writer as well as AOPA editor, 
him and my dad were, were good buddies. So he was sort of my mentor after my father died. And, and uh, he uh, was at AOPA at the time and got me an internship here. So while I was in college, I did an internship here. And then after college, since no airlines were hiring and the chartered gig was not very glamorous, um, living on a pager was not really my style. Yeah. So then we came, uh, so I uh, got hired here in 1994 as an associate editor, hmm. and then uh, it was a great job, uh, a lot of fun, you know, getting to fly new airplanes and write about them. Yeah. It was a lot of work, I yeah. have to say. Um, I'm, I, I'm not, a, I wasn't a trained journalist like Al Marsh was who could just, you know, spit out a story in a couple hours. I, yeah. you know, it took me a long time, but and it was a lot of work, but, um, you know, so I stayed here for six years, and airlines hiring started picking up, and you know the people who are above me here are still here. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Didn't seem to be much vertical movement yeah. here. So uh, yeah, I decided. You know, I'm not. I was. I guess at the time when I was here at AOPS, I was flying like 200 hours a year. Yeah. To me, I wanted That's to be. Right. I wanted to do more. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that time was droning around in formation, you know, yeah. <laughs> other airplanes. In circles. But yeah, 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 doing circles. But uh, so I wanted to do a little bit more flying. And that's where I really started looking into the airline thing because I, I thought, okay, if this airline thing is, you know, if I can be at a major airline within 15 years, probably a good idea to do it. Yeah. And uh, so I finally got hired at uh, a regional in uh, 2000. So I, mm. that was Atlantic Coast Airlines, which yeah. is um, now gone. Uh, they were a United Express carrier out of Washington, Dallas. And what were you flying? I started in the Jetstream 41, oh, cool. which is a, a kind of an oddball plane. Not many of them around. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, British Aerospace. It was nice in that it had a, a potty and a flight attendant. But it was and that know, was it, yeah. I mean, because I looked because we also had the Jetstream 32s, which you know had no no potty and no yeah. flight attendant, and you know the, the basically the first officer was the flight attendant who did the whole safety demonstration and everything like that while taxing out while doing everything else. It was so I thought, okay, well I've got the pretty good job here. You yeah, know? and uh, you know it was <laughs> it was a good time. It was. Uh, it was great experience, you know, flying that thing in all sorts of weather. And yeah, it, in the Northeast probably because uh, you were just yeah. bouncing around too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And back and forth across the mountains and, you know, dealing with MELs and things like that. It was, they were British airplanes, so if, if anybody's familiar with British cars, um, they know who Lucas Electrics is. Yeah. And, yeah, this airplane had Lucas Electrics. Did it really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Why it, did they ever think that was a good idea? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> They got the contract, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it, it was um, and, and probably one of the most scary things I ever had happen in an airplane was in one of those when I had a complete electrical failure. Mm. Um, thank God it happened literally just as we touched down, but at the thought of if it had happened five or ten minutes prior, yeah. you know, it could have been a, could have been a complete disaster. Yeah. Um, and every cold morning in that airplane was you know trying to wake up the electronics in some way, shape, or form, oh either by flipping a switch five hundred times or starting the engines manually. Warming the airplane up, and once it warmed up, things started coming oh to life. God. Yeah, it was um, it was quite the the show for the passengers in the terminal looking out the window at us trying to get this thing to come to life. And yeah. a lot of them said, "You know what? I'm I'll just drive." Thanks. Yeah, that's right. It's not that far. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so after the jet stream, uh, well, actually, after Atlantic Coast Airlines decided um, it was for various reasons, um, United was in a really bad way in 2000 two, three, four time frame. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, of course, we were United Express carrier. So we were losing our uh, United said, hey, you guys got to cut your costs. And uh, we said, OK, we they went to the pilot, all the working groups, pilots, flight attendants, mechanics said, all right, give us your best shot on a pay cut. Mm. So all the work, work groups came back and we submitted the plan to United and United said, nope, not enough. And that's when the management at Atlantic Coast said, you know what? 
uh, I think we're going to start our own airline. Um, because if United really went under, you yeah. know, this, we would have been poised to just take over Washington dollars. Yeah. Um, we had a huge operation there. So, uh, that's when they hatched the grand plan to launch Independence Air, um, which was a great product with horrible timing um, <laughs> because the, the business model worked when fuel was $36 a barrel. Yeah. And 2004, that's when it shot up to you know almost $100 a barrel within six months. Hmm. And we started a operation with, I think, $120 million in cash or something like that. Wow. We had very good startup capital. And it all uh, we burned through that, I think, within about less than a year and you know it was they 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 were using the JetBlue playbook to try to get bookings through our own website and you know that was difficult to do when nobody knew who you were yeah um and uh so for the first three months i think i flew around empty chairs in a in an rj i was flying that that i'd moved up to the well the independence air was strictly uh crjs and uh airbus Mm -hmm. 319s uh, so for the first three months, I do recall flying empty chairs in the summer of 2004, thinking, uh-oh, oh, wow. <laughs> this can't be good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sure enough. So eventually we jumped in bed with Travelocity, and the bookings picked up, and we started filling up planes. But I think that it was too late, too yeah. little too late. The damage was done. Um, RVSM came out about that time. So we were our RJs were now capped at 28,000 feet. Oh, my gosh. So they became horribly inefficient airplanes, yeah. which they already were inefficient airplanes for uh, – and then it got so bad that even Airbus wouldn't give us planes. Because Airbus, whenever we got a new Airbus on site, we'd get rid of three RJs. Well, hmm. Airbus stopped giving us planes. I guess they, they saw the balance sheets and said, mm, this can't be good. So yeah. we stopped getting rid of uh, RJs, which, of yeah. course, part of the plan was to get more efficient aircraft. And here yeah. we've got these inefficient RJs that, you know, capped at 28,000 feet. It was, it, it was not good. So the... The red flags and alarms were going off in my head that I got to get out of here. And thank, thankfully, I got out of there in uh, July of 2005. Did you get out before they folded? I did. Oh, yeah, wow. they folded in uh, January of 06. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I got out in July of 05. Huh. And then, then I got hired by a major airline, and um, that's kind of where I've been sitting ever since. And it's been a good good change of pace. Hmm. And what uh, what did you first go into equipment-wise? Um, I went to 737. Okay. Oh, and, and at Independence? Yeah, well, did you go ever make it on the Airbus? And no, no, no. At the Independence, I was I was a CRJ captain. Okay. And then, as I, as the company was going under and layoffs were going, I got moved from captain to the right seat, and uh, that was really when the alarm bell started going off because yeah. I just took a you know forty plus percent pay cut, and yeah. I'm thought, oh god, you know, and I've got a young kid at home. I was like, this is really getting ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was time to move on, really. Yeah. So when you Went from the RJ to the to the seven three. What what kind of a jump is that like? I mean, is it is that smaller than the Baron to Jetstream or no? The Baron to Jetstream was a well, it was a big change because it was it was it was GA to airline. Yeah. So the airline jump was a huge chasm. Yeah. Um, and you know, going from a mostly single pilot operation, I mean. Yeah, we did. At when I was flying charters, we did a sort of pseudo two pilot operation. Basically, yeah. one guy would work the radios, the other guy would fly. Yeah, but, but it's it was probably just like any other GA where it's like, hey, you want to do the radios? Exactly. And yeah, yeah. It was nothing like it is in the airlines where there's set things to do and you've got to do it like literally the way they tell you to do it. And so that was a big step for me. And having the uh, the capable, really capable autopilot in that airplane as well hmm. in the jet stream yeah. that, you know, was, was capable of doing things that I just hadn't seen. So I was like, Oh, well, this is, uh, so it, and, and knobology and switchology that 
you do that whether the autopilot's on or not hmm. you know who stabs what button when you know so yeah. we had just i mean that that was a big leap for me to really uh come to terms with uh, the differences in in ga flying versus the airlines and the airlines really are just very anal in how they want things done and i i get it yeah there's a reason and that's because you could be flying with a total stranger yeah every on any given day and, yeah. and in fact i've had days where i've had three different pilots rotating in and out of the right seat or the left oh, seat wow. or whatever hmm. yeah so and we all play along well together because that's the way the training works so and that's an aside but i mean i always thought the deal was when you bit a schedule it's like you're with that crew for that three or five days or it whatever. it started out um when we did paper bidding uh so paper bidding was um uh, you had what were called lines, lines of flying. Basically, yeah. you you picked, and when you got awarded a line of flying for the entire month, you were paired with that captain for the entire month, or or first officer, or whatever the case may be. When uh, I guess it was about two thousand, late two thousand five or two thousand six, when my company went to uh, uh, electronic bidding, or mm-hmm. some people call it slick bidding, um, and then you basically bid for trips, not not an entire not month yeah so oh. basically an individual could say all right i want these days i want to preference these days off and uh i don't want to do this kind of flying i don't want to do that kind of flying and, and it's, the computer has to crunch all these parameters yeah and what happens is then you're only basically flying with somebody per trip huh. so instead of flying with somebody for an entire month yeah which is both good and bad yeah right um you know now you're flying with somebody just for the week typically or you know three or four day rotation or something like that i guess overall that's probably a good thing because it's like if you really get to hate the person after like three days and you had a full month left of that that's that's a grind and that happened yeah Yeah. a lot yeah Yeah. and uh you get stuck with somebody for an entire month you're like well i guess this month's gonna stink yeah (laughs) just hold out in the hotel room (laughs) otherwise on the other hand you could have captain fun times yeah where you know every layover was a blast and you know he was just the type of guy who was funny and adventurous and you guys go out and do crazy things and you know go hang gliding or something. I don't know, whatever. Hmm. It was just, you know, sometimes there's a lot of fun, fun things to go on. And uh, yeah, so the, you had the good and the bad. Yeah, that's interesting. And so when you're getting back to uh, the the training, the the, the chasm between yeah, the, you know, the GA to, to airline, that was a big jump. The other transition was going from, uh, well, CRJ, then to uh, 737, which at the time we had five different models. Oh, so, yeah, and a common type. And one common type. Yeah. So that was a jump. Uh, you know, different airline culture that I had to learn, uh, different airplane, but then the five different models uh, yeah. between classics and new gen. And big difference. And it was like, I, I can't believe the FAA bought off on this uh, type know, rating. But. I'm actually shocked about that, too. It, and that, that's true of all jets, it seems like, it's where it's like you've got these huge differences. I mean, steam gauge to, like, advanced glass yeah. and engine differences. And, and so we had steam gauge... Um, 737s then we had new gen 737s with glass Mm -hmm. but the depictions on the glass were of round dials yeah right to keep it common yeah and you know it was funny (laughs) but people look at wait you got glass with round dials yeah it's like yeah okay it was it was a little embarrassing and i don't think and then even when we got rid of all the classics i want to say 2010 or 11 maybe uh, I, I don't know but uh when we got rid of them it, it it even took like another year for them to flip the switch to make the displays go normal <laughs> instead of so we're still looking at round dials for a while it was but it was uh it was a it was a big uh, big difference but a little bit of a learning curve there it was a, it was a very stressful training uh 
uh, event. Yeah. My first one at uh, at my current airline. Wow. And so you started off commuting, right? To your yeah, base. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was um, lots of fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> So to dissuade somebody from an airline career by telling me about commuting and sort of the realities of that life. Yeah. So at the time, you know, starting out this job, I was uh, the contract at the time basically threw the new hires under the bus. Twenty seven bucks an hour was what I was making. So I had gone from, you know, actually making sort of a living at, uh, at my regional at uh, Independence, you know, to then not you know, then going again, having the rug pulled out for me and only, you know, making terrible money. Thank God for my wife who was able to step up and <laughs> she was working full time. So we had some income there, you know, and you got a young child, but anyways, uh, there was no base in my hometown and, and I wasn't going to move the family cause I have a lot of ties to the area. Plus my yeah. wife had a good job, yeah. so we weren't going to move, but so I had to start commuting and, you know, commuting to New York, uh, from DC, you know, on a map. Yeah. Not yeah. that big a deal. Four hour drive, yeah, right? Yeah. No problem. Yeah. yeah. And if I can't get on a plane, yeah, I'll just drive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Grand plans, um, how things go. Uh, so typically, um, I would try to fly to work because it was free. Yeah. Um, and, you know, jump seating on uh, one of our flights up there. Great. Uh, the And we had seven, 737s a day going between uh, mm. uh, yeah. National Airport and New York, which is great. So um, I was usually getting on. Um, but then things change. So, of course, you know, there is any time you go into New York from Washington, you know, there's ground stops, mm-hmm. there's holds, there's I mean, it's just it's it's chaotic yeah. uh, volume delays. Uh, it's just it's very unpredictable. You know, ba- you know, you count on the three o'clock flight leaving at five and the five o'clock flight leaving at seven and the nine being canceled or something like that. Just it, it's just crazy. Um very stressful to fly to work, but at least it was free because the drive was expensive. Yeah, uh, with the oh, tolls, the tolls, yeah, the tolls like, and the gas, you know, it was you know, it was just it was. I calculated out to usually be about one hundred twenty dollars round trip to yeah. drive to work. Yeah, and the train, forget it. It was one twenty each way. Yeah. So the, the choices were, you know, average, bad, and ugly. Hmm. Really, when it came to expenses. So yeah, there were some times I had to jump in the car at the last minute and drive to work. And that was yeah. no fun. Uh, but you know what? You know, four hour drive. And then there's the, the the greatest part of of the commuting experience is having a crash pad, which you know is really cheap insurance. That mm-hmm. you know if you get stuck somewhere, yeah, it's nice. Or if you have to commute up the night before, you really do kind of need a crash pad. And and the crash pad was economical because a hotel would cost you, um, you know, a hundred bucks a night. Yeah. Whereas the crash pad was one sixty five for a month. Hmm. So. And so, how many people do you oh, even know? How many yeah, people there was, were on the I lease? Think, I think our place had about eighty pilots. Wow. Um, but of course, everybody's on a different schedule. So yeah. you rarely saw more than 10 guys every on any given night. Yeah. Um, and the guy who ran this, you know, operation was a pilot as well. <laughs> so he, um, you know, had this. Uh, <laughs> well, that's so typical. It's like <laughs> it is. He, and he lived in Florida. Uh, but yeah. uh, so the rumor was is that he had a girlfriend up in uh, oh. in the and that's why he kept the crash pad was an excuse for him to come up and, and see his 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 best girl in yeah. in uh, <laughs> in New York. I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, whatever. I didn't care. I yeah. didn't ask. I was cheap. It was it was good insurance to have and you know, introduced me to terms like hot bunking and things hot like bunking. hot bunking. Yes, hot okay. bunking yeah. is a, 
I don't, are you familiar with it? I am not familiar with <laughs> hot bunking. Hot bunking is basically, um, so that the bed that you're sleeping in was probably slept in the night before. Yeah, probably. Yeah, by yeah. somebody else. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's hot bunking. But uh. <laughs> it's hot bunking with a maid service, which means that at least oh. the sheets get changed. Oh. Yeah, so every day there was a maid came in and made the beds and changed them. But oh, That's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. not too bad. Yeah. But uh, I think was, I'd bring a sleeping bag with me or something. Like, yeah. It was just literally... It was it was like going back to college again with a bunch of snoring old men, and I, I really did not enjoy it yeah. uh, at all. It was the worst part of my uh, job. But at the time, it was like, well, you know, I don't have a choice when I was getting going to get furloughed at one job. And yeah. So were you on reserve at the time, or were you able to? I get only trips? Sp- I was lucky uh, at the time. Uh, uh, Meyerland was hiring so fast. I only spent uh, two months on reserve. Hmm. Okay. I so. really lucked out. So I yeah the first. Two months of my existence there, I was living in a crash pad in New York, yeah, thinking, "What, are, what have I done to my life?" Yeah. Um, but we were hiring so fast that I was quickly holding a line, and uh, yeah, life, you know, improved immensely once I got a line. And then, and of course, with the way things were going, hiring-wise, you know, my schedule got pretty good very quickly. Hmm. So when you when you started holding a line, it's like, how do you make the calculation between? Uh, I'm gonna push it and try and go up that day to catch my trip, or yeah, I'm gonna go the night before. Yeah, you could push it. Yeah, that that was always the the qu- and and anything involving any of the New York three airports. You know, it was if you're gonna commute same day, basically I could make it there. Um, if my my show time was after 11 a.m., yeah, I could make it up there because there was usually two flights in the morning that yeah. would get me up there in time. And if the weather was good, and um. And when I'm when I'm talking weather, I mean it could be clear in a million, but if yeah. the winds are blowing, yeah. they're they're going to still have delays. So yeah. it, was, it had to be clear, had to be not windy, and then and the volume delays all started in the afternoon. So if you got two flights with seats and the weather was good, yeah, I could commute up that day and go to work. Do you ever? So how do you make the calculation? I mean, does it? Do you ever get in a situation where it's like uh, you get to the airport to try and get the flight up, and you think uh, I'm not going to make it? I got to get in the car and turn around yeah. and, and drive right now. Yeah. I've had a couple of those, yeah, driving up the turnpike, you know, at a high rate of speed to get to work on time. Um, I've also had uh, situations where we blocked out of the gate uh, to on my commute flight to work and uh, sat on the ground for four hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And my showtime, I'm on the phone with scheduling saying, yeah. uh, I'm stuck. Yeah. I mean, unless I pop an emergency exit, I'm stuck on this yeah. plane. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah. I want to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, unless you can make that happen. And yeah, so I've, I've had some missed trips because I got stuck on a plane that sat there and wouldn't go back to the gate. And, you know, it's not like I'm in, I'm in the back. I can't go up to the cockpit and say, hey, man, can you go back to the gate so I can get in my car? You know, it was it was unfortunately. Uh, and so what's the situation there? Is that like uh, you call in sick or I mean. Well, it's, what it, you've basically already probably confessed your sin. Yeah. That, you know, hey, I'm on this plane. I can't get off. Yeah. You know, and even if. If it's a what what we term a legal commute where you've had your two flights and things, you know, just stuff happens. Mm. Um, yeah, so you could lose your trip, mm. and that's happened to me. Yeah, where I you lose your trip, you lose the pay. Yeah, okay. and you know, then you get then you're put on reserve uh, to try to pick up something to to make up for your lost pay. Okay. It's not it's not a good situation. It just adds to the overall stress of commuting. It's it's. But there's something baked into the contract where it's like you don't get there aren't sort of disciplinary things that happen as a result. Well, at first, um, you know, yeah, there's what they call a commuter policy. And the commuter policy when I first started was pretty lousy. It was, I called it yo fault. No matter what happened, it was yo (laughs) Yo fault. Yeah. Yeah, And it was annoying. Um, uh, You know, for like in the case where I was trapped on a plane, Mm -hmm. you know, I had my two flights. I had, there were seats. The weather was 
forecast the night before to be decent. Yeah. The weather, the morning. I think the, if I recall, yeah, because I had to go through this whole The forecast was uh, 702, uh, broken at 700, two miles viz, with mm-hmm. a chance of uh, light snow, a, th- a probability 30% light snow. Is that that? Oh, okay. That sounds pretty yeah. good. I'll, yeah. I'll commute on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, the morning of, it went to 200 and a half in freezing fog. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah, everything shut down. And uh, and so yeah, I got a call from the chief pilot saying, "Well, uh, yeah," and you know, I said, "Yeah, I should be covered by the commuter policies." Well, I don't think so. Hmm. It was in his opinion that any time you see snow in the forecast, even if it's a thirty percent probability, you should you should come up the night before. I'm, oh wow! And so I lost the pay. I was not happy about that. Oh wow! I'm happy to say though, however, that um, that policy has changed much better, and hmm. uh, people are covered now. Of course, now I'm not commuting. Yeah, but, right. But that's the way it goes. <laughs> But yeah. it, it has gotten better. It's gotten more fair, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that. And so you transition now to, so you, like you said, you're not commuting. You're home. Yeah. Um, Life-changing. But you had to take a different uh, a different piece of equipment. Yeah. Um, so now you're on the Airbus. Yeah. So to be based at home, the first thing that popped up, you know, I hate commuting more than I hate training. Yeah. So with that in mind, the, basically the first thing that came up that was in my home base was... Uh, was an Airbus. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll fly it. Yeah. Literally, yeah. literally, if we had King Airs, I'd be flying that yeah. until I didn't have to commute anymore. I would not mind. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I transitioned to the Airbus, and that was a big switch going from Boeing to Airbus. That was an uh, interesting transition. Yeah. Um, I do like it. Uh, you know, the Airbus really grows on on pilots, and, you know, a lot of pilots like to poo-poo it. And, uh, yeah. It, it is a, it's a strange airplane in, in some ways. Um, but honestly, it's it's a it's a great airplane, and I enjoy flying it. It's uh, it's automatic. Everything mm-hmm. you know, instead of five thousand switches up above your head that you you know seven thirty seven pilots look like trained monkeys compared yeah. to you know in the Airbus, things just happen, which mm. is nice. So it's a, and it's a very uh, roomy cockpit that's very well thought out. Um, there's definitely some things, advantage, you know, the advantages and disadvantages of the airplane. I've discussed in an article on AOPA before, but um, overall, it's they're both great airplanes. But, you know, the Airbus, I think, has it all over the 737 and creature comforts, and I'm enjoying that right now. Yeah. So it's spoken like a true airline pilot. It's like, you know, <laughs> right. schedule benefits and, like, how comfortable is, yeah, is my life. I know, and if our mouth's moving, we're complaining. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> So you're not you don't buy into all that you know like if it's not Boeing garbage and all that kind of stuff. I, I never did. I got one of those stickers, but I never put it on my bag. Oh no, the one that says if yeah. I'm not Boeing, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Yeah. I have one of those stickers, but I never put it on my bag because I thought, yeah, I don't know. I've never flown an Airbus. I'm not going to make yeah. that. I'm not going to make that judgment. And now that I have flown the Airbus, there's no way I'd put that sticker on my bag. It's a good airplane. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, but yeah. you know, again, it's 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 got a lot of charm in its own right. What about the actual sort of hands on of it? Um, it's the fly-by-wire. Yeah, yeah that's right. the only. Uh, see, you know, I have flown fly-by-wire years ago. I got a, a what they called a red carpet ride in F sixteen when I was working here at the magazine, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, that was my first time flying a fly-by-wire. I thought this is really cool. You just point the nose where you want it, let go, mm-hmm. and it just holds it. Yeah. It always trims to one G, and so, and the, this this Airbus is just like that. You know, it's just like the F sixteen. You point the nose where you want, and let it go. And, you know, just little corrections on the stick. You don't have some giant yoke between your legs, yeah. which frees up room for a tray table that pulls out of the, you know, panel, which is great. You that know, cool. you're not eating off your lap anymore. 
So yeah, it's uh, it's a little a little you know this is very early fly by wire airplane. So this is early eighties. This is you know kind of when things. In fact, some of our databases are updated on floppy disk. Oh my god! There's floppy disk drive in there to oh update the gosh. database. It's pretty cool. When you see these things, I'm like, man, <laughs> it's like the last consumer of floppy disks. So, yeah, and yeah. I kind of wonder what kind of computing power was available in the early eighties. Yeah. But I imagine it. I don't even think there was an eighty six attached to it. It's probably one eighty six or two eighty six. I don't yeah. know. Whatever. It was. It's old. But um, wow. Anyway, so it's early fly-by-wire. It's a little, uh, it gets, really, it only gets tripped up um, in uh, gusty crosswinds is when things get a little interesting. And, and, and I mentioned in my article that I, uh, a few years ago that you, all you got to do is go on YouTube and search Airbus crosswind landings and you'll, you'll be entertained for hours. I mean, it's just, there's, you know, get some popcorn out because it's, it's pretty interesting. The airplane, if, if, you, if you don't do your technique right, it can just be a, a real hot mess hmm. to um to get it to get it down in a, in a strong crosswind your technique as in like the core techniques or is there are there like tricks that everybody has to learn to do it properly there's, in the airbus so yeah the uh the airbus has you know uh, basically there's a, a technique that airbus teaches and um and yeah it needs to be reinforced online sometimes you know you really can't um everybody's got their own little technique really yeah and um, some guys say oh no you can't have the nose raised too high in a crosswind you know it's just you're just asking for trouble and things like that and uh, some guys yeah keep it flat keep the power on things like that and mm. and everybody's got their own technique and yeah. and for the most part i've flown with enough guys who've flown this thing for years that uh, i've actually uh, I've, I've got it down pretty well now I, I don't i'm not intimidated by it like when i first got on it and you know it was uh you know, de- dealing with gusty crosswinds then, because it will you if you don't do it right, you will you can you know. Well, the first time I hit the stops on the aileron, I thought, oh, <laughs> that's a first. Yeah, you know, cause that's never happened to me before. Yeah, um, and you know, and the Boeing just has aileron power to spare. Mm. Um, so it, the first time I hit the stops, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it was a little strange, but I've got it all figured out now. I think. Let's hope so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> knock on wood, right? Yeah. Exactly. So you've you've I guess over the past couple of years, I mean, it's like seniority wise, you're feeling pretty comfortable. You're still in the right seat, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm in the right seat right now. I'm, I've turned. I didn't turn down. I, I did not bid. For, there was a there was a bid to, to upgrade here recently. I think back in January, but I didn't want to do it because there was vacation bidding. They they timed the bid to upgrade to be. The, to end the day before the vacation bid. So I didn't want to be bidding for vacation as a captain, yeah. which means getting, you know, February the 2nd, yeah. your Groundhog Day or something <laughs> something glamorous like that. Um, I wanted to have, you know, a good, uh, I wanted to bid as a first officer. So I, I, I held off. I probably shouldn't have, but I held off. Mm. And um, so I think the next opportunity I'll get to bid for a captain will be uh, hopefully this fall. And then... Um, then the debate is, is it going to be 737 or yeah. Airbus? Yeah. And, uh, you know, seniority-wise, 737 be the way to go. Um, line holder, I'd be a solid line holder in that. Yeah. Versus the Airbus, which um, is more senior airplane, and I'd be, um, the good news is, I, you know, the training would be easy because I've been flying yeah. it for three-plus years. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the, the seniority just would not be very good. I'd probably be pretty deep on reserve. Hmm. So... How do you make that calculus? I mean, is it, um, I guess it's whatever you're, is most important to you at that time. Yeah, you know, which, you talk to your wife, and then it becomes all yeah. about quality of life. Yeah. And she says, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, I mean, if, if, you know, reserve can't be, sometimes it's not that bad. Mm. So if I was, you know, say to stay on the airbus. I guess especially when you're reserve, home, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. living in base. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad gig if, if, unless they're short of pilots. If they're short of pilots, you're going to be working all the time. But if they're uh, if they're not short of pilots or adequately staffed, there's a good chance that you could sit around on reserve, you know, at home 
doing your Home Depot runs and, you know, taking the kids to wherever, as long as you got a bag packed and ready to go and a, and a backup plan, yeah. uh, you, you, it, it's not a bad gig. Hmm. And what is the call out? How long do you guys have? Uh, three hours. Okay. Yeah. So it's not too bad. It's plenty of time. Usually even, even in the worst of a DC rush hour, you know, if it was an early, you know, you know, early morning rush hour kind of situation, you, you'd probably want to be showered and uniform ready to go and a bag ready to go, which is not that big a deal. Yeah. Huh, cool. And and what about the, the calculus in terms of, I, I know some people will stay first officers forever and others want to just kind of keep upgrading and keep upgrading equipment. I mean, is there, is that just to continue to get quality of life where you are or, and, and you base that based on maybe the increased pay for captain or? Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't need the money, yeah. you don't have to upgrade, but, but here's the thing. I mean, airlines in general, they don't want to hire first officers. They don't want to hire career. They want to hire you know, people who will be captains, who will be the the future leaders and uh, can mentor future first officers to be captains. Um, so they're not, it's not a requirement, but yeah, they really would prefer that you take your experience, upgrade a captain and pass on the knowledge. Mm. Um, so yeah, you, but it, it's not a requirement. And yes, some people will stay first officers for a long time, especially if their spouse has a really good job and they don't need the money, then by all means, you know, enjoy the seniority and get what you want in terms of time off and flight benefits and things like that. Um, you know, typically I don't care. I don't have a, a, an ego when it comes to the size of airplane I fly. I don't really care. I don't want to fly big stuff. Um, yeah. you know, it just, you know, it's kind of like with my brothers with the corporate jobs, you know, bigger plane, bigger suitcase. Yeah. Um, in, in my case, it's, you know, the trips are about the same amount of time length, you know, say a three day trip that's worth, uh, you know, 20 hours or something like that. Um, yeah, I'm doing six legs in those days where they're, while well, the big guys are only doing two, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm not flying, I'm not pulling two all nighters a week, yeah. which, you know, for me, That's managing tough. rest is really hard with this yeah. job. And, and, and for me staying domestic, you know, even, you know, going back, you know, the most we do is a four hour time zone change out to Anchorage or something. And that's the, the worst that I would see. It's not, uh, and, but even it's hard to manage even with just a three hour time zone change to the, West Coast and back, at least for me. Some guys, who the guys who are able to sleep on planes, by all means, you know, go for it. Mm. And so from a the, the flying and, and you know, um, I guess kind of being up front in the, the culture of it, you've been a 121 captain, um, not at the airline uh, where you are yet, but is there a draw there to become a captain just from a, I mean, is it that much different or because things are so kind of flat now with CRM, is there that much of a difference? I mean, are there really benefits in terms I, of becoming I think becoming so. A ca- a I captain? mean, I remember when I was a captain, I was like, whatever you do, get back here as quick as you can. Mm. I remember giving myself that advice, and I haven't followed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I and I know that when I get back in the left seat, I'll be like, ah, what do you wait so long for? But anyway, the, the, the reason why is that you really, you set the tone. Um, and I've, you know, and, and as a first officer, you, you, you are sort of a chameleon to whoever you're flying with that week. Um, some people come in with a really positive tone and set a great example. Um, others just come in and, you know, slide in their seat and just get the job done. I like to think that when I get onto an airplane, I'm going to be enthusiastic and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to try to set the tone for everybody to have a good fun time with it. And that we're all going to be looking out for each other and, and, and make a good, uh, a good, you know, day or week of whatever flying we're doing. 
um, it, really you are a team up there and you know, don't, your job is only as good as you can make it. Mm. And when, you know, Captain Droopy gets on and just wants to get the job done, you know, <laughs> well, okay, you know, it's going to be a pretty boring week and you just kind of get yourself in that mood. You mm. know? And so anyway, so it's nice to set the tone. It's nice to set the example for how the, everything's going to go. And that's, you know, and really it's your ship. Yeah. You know, uh, you are basically in charge of it and you get to do it your way. And that's, that's a nice thing. It's, uh, and, and also guys who spend too much time in the race, seat just kind of get complacent over there. Yeah. You know, they just, whatever, man, it's your call. You know, mm-hmm. they, they just kind of look over and say, well, I'm not in charge. You know, <laughs> you know I just fly them, you know, kind of thing. Right? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just a sort of a natural progression and yeah, it's, it's a little overdue for me and I'm mm-hmm. ready to do it again. I guess I was, I'm, I'm, I've always been under the impression that because things are, are so standardized, the flows are so standardized and everything else, yeah. that there's not a lot of discretion. But I mean, I guess there are those millions of little decisions that are made every flight. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, you think we should make 10 right on that buildup up there? It's like, no, I'd do 20. Well, okay, sure. Yeah. Whatever. You know, there's there's every, you know, just little technique things. You, you fly with guys who who want to take the 50-mile buffer around a thunderstorm as yeah. opposed to the standard 20. You know, you, you think, okay, that's a little overkill. But, you know, it, again, you're, you're not in charge. You're, yeah. just, you're deferring to the most conservative person, really. And just as, as one of a bazillion examples of, of things that happen every day that mm. where it's nice to be the guy in charge. Yeah. So do you still love it? Yeah, it's a great job. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, it's um, once you get into the – it's challenging. Yeah. It's stressful, yes. Um, you know, I keep hearing that airline pilot is usually one of the top five most stressful jobs you can have, and I get it, um, especially when in uh, passenger airlines. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that come at you, and, and when the weather's down and things like that, it, it, it can be a pretty stressful day. Um, but it's challenging, which I like. We all like to be challenged and keep your skills up. And, you know, once in a while, turning the flight director off and flying an ILS and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to keep the skills up. I mean, honestly, when I switch back and forth from GA to airline stuff, when I go f- fly my little airplanes, you know, I, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of a wake up call because, oh, my God, I got to scan again. <laughs> everything in the airliner is on one screen. Yeah. With a flight director, it's just too easy. Yeah. And I go fly, you know, an approach and in our 172 and it's just it can be a mess <laughs> like and you know and of course you're embarrassed because you know yeah you're, you're supposed just, to know what you're yeah, doing i'm yeah. supposed to know what i'm doing i'm like yeah sorry I the scans can't you really have to work on that but hmm. uh, so yeah keeping the skills up uh i do enjoy that and yeah it's always a challenge um it we get paid well nowadays yeah, yeah. um we get paid well for what we do and um it is i think very important job to do it well and standard to you know so that you can play well with others you know basically hmm. I've got this impression, and I don't know if it's right or not, but that, um, you know, because there are, you mentioned before about complaining, it's like there are a lot of unhappy airline pilots. And oh, yeah. my sense is that people who still love the flying still love the job in general. It's like they'll deal with all the garbage that goes along with it. Um, but if the flying doesn't really get you anymore, then it's like, then it's just a hassle. Um, yeah. And there are some guys true, like but, that. Yeah. You know, when you talk, start talking about, extracurricular activities, you know, and, and of course these guys usually find out that, you know, I'm involved with little airplanes in one form or another. And like, ah, I haven't set foot in a little plane in 20 years. Mm-hmm. When I retire from this job, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk away and never see another airplane again. You know, oh, those wow. are the guys who aren't into flying. You yeah. can tell they've, they've just gone, they've gone over the edge. They're done. Hmm. And I, you know, I just joke around. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. You yeah. know, <laughs> we'll see when you retire. You'll come crawling back and join AOPA and get yeah. yourself an airplane or something yeah. like that. But, you know, 
I'm never, you know, some guys, I'm never going to do it. Okay, fine. We'll see. Yeah. So you still love the flying. I mean, that's. I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do love it. It's fun. I, you know, and uh, I uh, love clicking off the autopilot and flying that thing around. It's, it's actually a fun, the Airbus is a fun airplane to fly. You know, just real, that the way they do the, the stick is, you know, basically the, the control inputs are the same, whether you're going, you know, 150 knots versus 300 knots, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's just really fingertip flying, which is kind of fun. That is cool. Yeah. What's the most challenging? Is it the, the culture, um, the flying or the passengers? Well, the, yeah, I mean the flying is pretty standard. Stuff, yeah, really. It we know what what's coming. The only thing that gets stressful there is you know weather and uh, things like that. Really, yeah. can make a long day. Um, and when we have to start uh, dealing with you know multiple runway changes and things like getting data, getting de ice, and then you know getting the hold over times. I mean it does get stressful, and that's why you know it's it's for those days that we get compensated pretty well. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the easy VFR days, well, you know, then you're like, yeah, this job's easy. <laughs> but but you really pay for it on some days when you're yeah. just exhausted after, you know, say two legs of just, you know, ugly flying, yeah. if you want to call it that. Um, Culture-wise, um, yeah, it's a little stressful. You know, you end up in a different city every night, different hotel. You know, you could be in a hotel where 3 a.m. fire alarm goes off and your rest is interrupted and mm. you're up. All, it can That part can be stressful. Man, man yeah. for me... I should say managing the rest is, is a big thing because, mm. um, you know, I'm not a natural, natural born sleeper. You know, if I'm on a plane, I'm, a, you know, I'm wired pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So when I get off that plane, I'm still a little wired and sometimes it'll take me a while to get to sleep. So mm. yeah, the culture. Plus you got all the family stuff that you always have to manage, I'm sure, which is yeah, challenging. Yeah. There's all sorts of fires to put out from yeah. on the road. Yeah. You know, I need you to call so-and-so about this and, you yeah. know, okay, fine. Well, I'm three hours behind, so let me – it just – yeah, there's little things that, that come into play there. And then, yeah, the passengers, yeah, there's always, you know, uh, a, you know sometimes a circus show going on. And what's, what's funny about this job is that the most stressful part of, of airline flight is the boarding. Hmm. And what's ironic about it is nobody's getting paid for it. <laughs> no kidding. We don't Except get for paid. the gate agent, we don't I get, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't get paid till we push off the gate. And mm. that means for the poor flight attendants who are back there dealing with the, can you put my bag up for me, please? Yeah. You know, and or, yeah. can I have a glass of water to take my pills? You know, you're like, okay. <laughs> so there's, they're dealing with all sorts of stuff back there. And, mm. and um, it, it's just a shame that nobody's getting paid. And that's, you know, that goes back to long before my time. I don't know. Who, who decided that's the way we're going to get paid, but I'd like to have a word with them yeah, right, right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that can be uh, at, certainly an added stress. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, medical issues that crop up in flight, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I could, I remember doing some long haul flights to South America in the 737 out of New York, and we would go down to Panama, you know, Central America, go yeah. down to Panama, and it was a long flight. And, yeah. you know, you'd take somebody from sea level and stick them up in an 8,000-foot cabin for, you know, almost six hours. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, you know, about hour number four, boom, you know, we have a passenger down in the aisle, oh you know. So you got somebody who's, you know, stood up too quickly after yeah. being, you know, at 8,000 feet, and they haven't drank any water, or worse, were drinking alcohol. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. But, you know, and then they drop, and, you know, you got, then you have to arrange a, phone call to a doctor, find out if their doctor's on board. And it's just, mm. it does get stressful when you're hauling human cargo. Any sort of major medical incidents yet? Mm, no, I haven't had a ma- I did have one div- medical divert. We were on our way back from Panama. I had to end up in Raleigh. Oh. Overweight landing, you know, things Ooh. like that. Yeah, so that was fun. Mm. Um, they were okay. It was, um, you know, they, they, 
I, I guess it's just really important to get them off the plane. Yeah, it's right. a lot less paperwork if they don't <laughs> if they right. die on the plane. Yeah, there's a lot of paperwork to do. But yeah. but as long as once they're in a jetway, it's a huge sigh of relief from <laughs> the crew members. Like okay, phew, okay, we're Did good your to go. Job, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, and one overweight landing inspection away, and okay, we're off. Yeah, um, finished up the trip. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned alcohol. I was on a flight where. I think they were coming back from the Middle East or something as two two guys in uniform, but man, they got into it. They were, <laughs> it was like drink after drink. And he, at a certain point, I think we we're going to Anchorage actually, it was like boom in the back, out. Yeah. Cold. Yeah. Cause yeah. they don't tell you that, you know, airplane cabins, and of course, you know, you might be aware that you're at a higher altitude, 8,000 feet, but, you know, the, the, the fact that it's literally, you know, desert dry. Yeah. It's about in the, cockpit it's about three percent humidity in the cabin it's about 10 wow and it it is and then of course alcohol being a diuretic just dries you out even more mm-hmm. so if you're not drinking if you're gonna if you're gonna go drink for drink there on a yeah. on a on an airline flight at least make one uh, of them water because yeah. that's about your only Alternate. chance of surviving yeah because yeah. it, it's it, it is brutal and, and i didn't realize that until i got into the you know uh, kind of got more into the flight physiology of this i'm like oh my god it's like a Alcohol is a pretty bad idea when you're flying. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That trip to Vegas might sound good to get loaded up, but yeah, it's, you're not going to feel good Wait when you get there. You're <laughs> going to have a pounding headache. <laughs> so it, it, we're recording this um, actually about a week, I guess, after, um, I don't know if I want to say that poor soul or that guy or, you know, that got dragged off the airplane. Um, lots of uh, lots of problems with that, I guess. Um, yeah. One is that you know, everyone said, well, he got dragged off a United flight, but it comes out it's it was a co-chair, it was Republic. Um, you know, it's like the cops were called, so the cops were involved. And then United's response, I thought, was a little maybe weak at first. And so they got blamed for that. And finally, we find out they settled. I don't know. I mean, when you look at that and you think, okay, well, if I'm in that situation, because who knows, it might happen someday. What would you do differently? What do you think? I think if I was a captain on that flight, I think yeah. I would have, seeing things going the way they were going, I think I would have stepped in and I at this point tried to been a voice of reason mm-hmm. to be a third party because obviously the the tempers got heated between the gate agent and the good doctor yeah uh, that were obviously led to obviously when the gate agent is you know calling the police then yeah. obviously things got heated yeah you, you'd have to step in I think as a objective third party there mm-hmm. insert yourself into the situation as a captain because you got a boarded airplane. Now, the door is still open, so it is a little bit of a gray area about who's responsible for security issues. Hmm. You know, a lot of times airlines don't want pilots to get involved in security issues because we're just literally there to fly the airplane. If you get us involved in a heated argument where it gets our adrenaline going and our mind completely offline, Hmm. it's not a safe thing to get get involved in an emotional exchange in the back. So I can understand that if you're on the ground with the door open, okay, if there's a security incident... I think I might leave it to the professionals who are trained in dealing with these kind of yeah. uh, issues. However, that being said, when things were clearly spiraling out of control, I think as a captain, I would have stepped up and just said, you know what? Everybody has to get off this airplane. Hmm. You know, we've got, you know, I wouldn't say it, but obviously you've got, you got people, you know, it, it, it sometimes can be like romper room back there. Hmm. And, you know, you, you're dealing with people who are acting like children. Yeah. Um, and sorry, if they're going to act like children, then you're going to treat them like children. Everybody off, yeah. you know, turn out the lights, <laughs> get off the plane. <laughs> we'll sort it out up top Yeah. because this is not the place to have that kind of, you know, fracas going on really. Mm. So I think, yeah, there could have been some, I mean, 
so many things went wrong with this, yeah. um, but that being one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many obvious things like the, why not just offer more money? Yeah. Um, you know, somebody, somebody will get off. Yeah. But, you know, just so many things went wrong, really, that it, it was, it's just turned into a, a really bad scene. And it was, uh, you know, it was unfortunate to watch uh, United's name get dragged through the mud. Um, and, you know, granted, they sold the ticket. And their their name is written on the side of that plane, so yeah. they took ownership of it, yeah. even though technically it was a Republic flight, and yeah. the manhandling was done by the police. So yeah, it's and these are the kind of situations that escalate. And now with everybody having a camera, I was going to say, I mean, I think it totally changes the situation. It's like I, I would be worried because you know, as soon as something happens, it's like it's on video. Yep, everybody whips out their their yeah. phones, and 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 yeah, that's the. Uh, and so now everybody, as and flight attendants again have it the worst. You know, it's yeah. like they're constantly being filmed. If there's any sort of conflict, that people are shoving cameras in their face, and it's really very rude yeah. to do. Um, you know, I don't think people want to be filmed at their jobs, but that's what it's unfortunately that's what it's come to. Mm-hmm. And you know, then we move on to the American Airlines incident with the the stroller. You know, the lady with the stroller. Yeah. Um, and you know, everybody's whips out their cameras for that and all we hear is the last 30 seconds of a woman wailing saying you hit my baby and yeah. <laughs> and of course the internet goes wild again yeah. saying oh my god they're awful because of course that's what happened a flight attendant yeah. hit a baby right and there's so yeah. much more to the story and <laughs> and it's just and of course it just got and 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 here's the the thing that that does concern me you know united settled with the with the doctor yeah in the dragging incident and american seeing what was happening with united they just took the opposite tack, and even though it appears that, you know, this woman was in the wrong yeah, uh, by trying to smuggle a stroller onto a... And it was like a two-person stroller, right? I, I don't know. I think it was huge. But either yeah. way, yeah. whatever the stroller is, they're yeah. not allowed on airplanes, yeah. and they never have it. And yeah. it was tagged yeah. to be a gate check. And she, you know, even though she was in the wrong, I think, to sweep it under the rug, American just said, here, first-class seats, both legs that you're doing today... You know, let's not speak of this. Jeez. And so it's rewarding, yeah, bad you know, behavior. bad behavior. Yeah. And I think people are just going to start coming out of the woodwork trying to get what they want. And it, and it could turn into just a real mess for, for those of us who are employed. It's really the employees who are, are going to get hit with this the worst. Yeah. And and granted, the airlines, some of the airlines' policies are the source of so much trouble for us. Uh, you know, for example, when the airlines roll out these yeah, billion plans, yeah. well, not just that, but even say, oh, we have new economy plus seating. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got an extra legroom. Yeah. Great things like that. Well, who's going to police that? Yeah. The flight attendants. Mm-hmm. The poor flight attendants now have to say, Sir, um, are you originally supposed to be in this seat? Uh, no, I was in the back. You know, they self-upgrade. Oh, there's nobody sitting here. I'm sorry, but you have to, you know. Yeah. You know, you can't just go to a store and get what you want. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point because as a passenger, it's annoying when you're sitting there looking at empty seats and, you know, you're jammed in shoulder to shoulder and you're like, God, why can't I just sit there? You know, yeah. it's crazy. So It is frustrating. Yeah. Uh, they don't really think about, you know, the long-term effects. It's like, well, okay, you're getting something you didn't pay for. Yeah. So... But again, it's a policy that the airlines created that the that the employees have to police, and it's just more and more stressful mm. for for everybody involved to have to try to enforce these rules that are coming down from the top. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for as and of course, as another way for the airlines to make you know more profits. Yeah. You know the check bag fees. You know again, it starts right when you book a ticket. Oh, you want a bag? That's twenty five bucks. Yeah. It, it's it's frustrating for people. 
to who, especially those who flying back in the days when that was included. Yeah. So, and of course the checked bag fees has created chaos because now the, everyone's trying to yeah take the on the biggest bag out. They can. I mean, anything yeah. you can get to the door if it doesn't fit, oh, yeah. hey, free checked bag. Yeah, you know. And so what it does is it creates a huge line of TSA because everybody's bringing everything on board. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's being done all all backwards. I'd rather see them charge for carry ons and give a free checked bag. Yeah, I think you'd board planes, board and deplane airplanes a lot faster that way. Mm. But I'm not a CEO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a lowly exactly. first officer. Now. That's right. I'm a number. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. right. All right. Well, Pete, we hope not to see you on the news anytime soon. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah. And uh, thanks very much for, for coming by. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great. All right, David. So I, I have to admit, there was a point when I thought I wanted to be an airline pilot. And mm-hmm. so it's good to talk to people like Pete who still really like the job. And, yeah. um, you know, it makes me feel good that there's still pilots out there who, because I, I sometimes think, uh, you know, it's like, eh, it's just a flying job and how great is it? But he loves it and it's great to hear. So And he shares the joy. Yeah, he that, really does. That's good. And he came to talk to us and he yeah. helps other folks get in the business too, I think. So. Yeah, it's great. Awesome news. All right. So I think that's all the time we have for this week, David. Uh, I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Listen, you could find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk or email us your ideas at hangertalk at aopa.org. Don't forget, we're now on iTunes and at Sporty's Takeoff app. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian.